This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women in sex addiction. I'm Amy. I'm your host here, and I'm a recovering sex addict just like you, and I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. Do you just love that music at the beginning? I do. I was dancing. I always dance. Every time I record, every time I listen to it, I dance and groove to this music. I just totally love it. This is episode 39, and is the continuation of their deep dive series about the 12 steps of recovery. No matter what it is that you're recovering from, addiction to a substance, a behavior, a process, or a person, whether you are the addict or you are the partner of a family member of an addict, there is so much value in the 12 steps of recovery. The 12 steps provide solid foundational principles to help you move forward in your life, to help you progress. Today we're continuing our discussion on step four, which reads, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So I want to start with just a little bit of an experience. Yesterday I was driving home from work and I felt a little lonely. I reached out to a woman in recovery that I hadn't seen for a number of weeks. She picked up and kind of laughed when she answered the phone. She explained that she was not alone or able to talk openly, that she was with someone and had kind of, quote, fallen off the bandwagon, so to speak. My heart broke for her. She was kind of laughing because of all the days and times for you to call me, it's right now, she said, right now. That is definitely God at work in our lives. I offered to let her go, but she wanted to continue talking. She asked me why the S word was so important to me. Sex, I said. Why sex is so important to me? No, the other S word, she kind of whispered into the phone. Oh, sobriety. Okay, what is why is sobriety important to me? I, I didn't hesitate because I didn't like who I was when I was acting out, I told her. I didn't like that woman. She was sad and angry, angry all of the time. She was lonely. She was afraid. She was afraid of everything and everyone. She wanted so much out of life, but couldn't seem to make anything work. I didn't like that woman. I like who I am in sobriety. That's why it's important to me. I like who I am becoming in sobriety and recovery. She spoke with great emotion in her voice as she said, I can relate to that. I'm just not sure I can do it. And she then had to hang up really quickly. I've thought a lot about that brief exchange, probably because my heart truly was broken for her and for all of you out there who find yourselves caught between the pain of acting out and the pain of moving forward. But also because step four has been so heavily on my mind the last month, I didn't like who I was in addiction. I didn't like who I was while I was acting out. And yet step four made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves requires me to face all of that head on. In our previous two episodes about step four, episode 35, we discussed the personal preparation needed to make such a moral inventory. 
We talked about the courage it takes to even be willing to attempt this step. And we talked about the honest way of life you must develop in order to move forward on this path. In episode 37, we talked about what exactly a moral inventory is. We talked about inventory in general, what it means, why we take it. And we discussed the three principles behind inventory and how they bless our lives and help us understand where we stand, what needs to stay, what needs to go, and how we now move our face forward towards the future. Today in episode 39, this is the first of two episodes of some ideas on how you might work this step. We've talked about the preparation work and why you need to work this step. Now we're going to turn and focus on the how. How do we work this step in our lives? Before we get too far, though, let me quickly remind you of a few things we have going on here at Worth Recovery. First, I'm hoping you're not getting tired of hearing this, but our first Worth Recovery event, Engaged in the Struggle, is scheduled for Saturday, July 16th in the Seattle, Washington area. As more and more people register, I get more and more excited, you guys. I'm so excited to sit with you, to meet with you, and to just spend some time moving my recovery forward. As we've discussed, staying engaged in the struggle is not the easy option. It takes commitment, courage, and dedication. So many of you ask me questions about how we stay engaged, how we work through trauma, how we have better relationships, how we date, how we have boundaries, how we work with our children. Well, I don't know all the answers to those questions. I don't know them at all, but I do know people who can help you find the answers. At this full day workshop, we're going to have three CSAT therapists that will help us figure out some of those answers, and they're going to present on the topics that you ask me most about. In our last few episodes, we've announced the speakers that are going to be involved. I told you about Erin Glade, my original therapist, who's going to speak on trauma. I told you about Patricia Lyon, who will be speaking about boundaries. And in our last episode, I introduced Sue Newfield-Ellis, who will be discussing mindfulness and how this helps us stay present and engaged in the struggle. We have one additional speaker that I wanted to tell you a little bit about today, and that is Maureen. Maureen is a sex addict like you and me who has been in recovery for a number of years. She's actually known me my entire recovery journey. I met Maureen at my third meeting and we have been friends ever since. That's five years. She's been a huge source of inspiration for me. Maureen and I are going to share with you some of our deepest struggle moments as addicts and talk about ways to stay engaged and particularly the why that we stay engaged. She brings so much experience and hope to my personal recovery. Maureen is a constant source of hope in my life. I'm so excited that she's going to join us and spend some time with us in July. I hope you're going to join us too. We're expecting over 50 women. Saturday, July 16th, 2016, that's just five weeks away in Renton, Washington. Get online, worthrecovery.com, that's W-O-R-T-H-R-E-C-O-V-E-R-Y.com, and learn more about the schedule and get registered. This is going to be a truly amazing event. In addition to learning from these great therapists and from Maureen, you'll get a chance to really learn and network from other women in recovery. I'm super excited. I'm just really excited, and I really hope that you're going to be there with us. You can get on the website, worthrecovery.com. Next, I want to give a big shout out to our Worth Warriors. Woohoo! 
Your numbers keep growing. I can't thank you enough for the support of the work of Worth Recovery and of our podcast. It's because of the Worth Warriors that we can keep this podcast free for all of you listening. There are so many listeners around the world, and it's because of the Worth Warriors that this podcast remains free. Do you want to be part of that support? Supporting Worth Recovery and helping other women around the world have the voice of another woman to connect with. That's so important to me, that women have another woman in recovery to connect with. You can do that by becoming a Worth Warrior. For as little as $4 a month, that's less than 50 cents an episode, guys. You can support other women in recovery. The other thing you can do is to share this podcast. Do you have someone that you think might benefit? Another woman in recovery? Share this podcast. Help them find the support they need. Share your favorite episode with them. Tell them how it helped you. Do it today. All of the information for both our upcoming event as well as the Worth Warriors can be found on our website, worthrecovery.com. So let's get to it. How do we work step four in our lives? Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of our lives. How do we do that? Before I outline the means and the methods, I want to emphasize two really important ideas. First, you never do this step perfectly. There is no such thing as perfectly working a step. There's no such thing as a perfect inventory. You are not going to do this perfectly. Ready? Say it with me. I am not going to do this perfectly. That is no excuse for being lazy about it or for not doing the hard work at all. But I also don't want you to get so hung up on doing it perfectly that you won't even make an attempt, that you won't even try it because that's no good. Work hard, do the hard work, but know that it will not be perfect, and that is totally okay. Totally okay. The second idea is that the only wrong way to do this step is to not do it. Just because you did it differently than someone else doesn't mean it's wrong. Remember that we are about connecting, not comparing. We are not going to compare the method, the length, the details, or the speed at which you complete this with anyone. As with all steps, this is highly individualized. Let's work on connecting and not comparing, okay? Again, the only way to do this wrong is to not do it. So if you made an attempt at all, you are doing awesome. Last time we discussed this step, uh, we closed with this quote from the Sexaholics Anonymous White Book. It's on page 109, and it says, A well-organized or well-written inventory may be no true inventory at all. The fourth is the person, and in the emotional area, people are not computers. Human emotions don't travel in straight lines. They zigzag all over. It's not necessary to slavishly follow someone else's outline, format, or procedure. We write about ourselves as best we can. The key is looking at our own defects and wrongs, especially in our relations with others. Whether we proceed one defect at a time or one person or incident at a time usually becomes clear as we begin. And once we start, we open the blocked channels and it all just starts coming out. Close quote. Going back to my earlier experience, I really relate to this woman on the phone. The pain of continuing to act out felt overwhelming, but the pain of facing my past, the pain of a moral inventory also seemed overwhelming the first time. And sometimes if we're not careful, it drowns us in shame, sorrow, regret, sadness, grief, and pain. So before we go into these lists that you're going to make, I want to assure you that it is worth it. 
It is 100% worth it. Is it hard? Sure. Is it painful? Hell yeah, it's painful. Is it some of the hardest work I've ever done in my entire life? Yes. But the payoff is immense, guys. It's so big. Are you familiar with the 12 promises of AA? They're in the AA Big Book on page 83. They say, quote, If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Close quote. I didn't believe any of those promises until I came out of the other side of my fourth step. That is when I started to see some movement towards these promises in my life. I started to glimpse to hope that they were actually true. The ones that became particularly meaningful for me were these three. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will know peace. Self-seeking will slip away. I witness that these promises are true and that the more honest, searching, and fearless we are about our inventory, the more we will start to see these promises in our lives. I know that this is hard and I know that listening today you might think, there's no way I can do this, but I promise you that it's worth it. I promise that staying engaged in this struggle of recovery is worth it. Let's get into the method. The original directions for working the steps come from the big books of Alcoholics Anonymous, of course. This text describes four lists, four different topics to help us focus our inventory. Today, I want to outline these four lists and provide you with some resources about working them. In our next episode in this series, that would be episode 41, I will add some additional methods of working step four that I have seen to be incredibly valuable from a variety of other 12-step recovery programs. I think every 12-step recovery program takes just a slightly different angle that adds value to working these steps. The four lists that the AA book describes are resentments, fears, sexual conduct, and harms done. I always found it fascinating that sexual conduct was included when the problem here was alcohol, not sexual conduct. But we'll talk about that in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's start with resentments. It's on page 64 in the big book. I promise you I'm not just going to read the big book to you this whole episode. But there are a few quotes. Quote, first, we searched out the flaws in our makeup, which caused our failure. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways was what had defeated us, we considered its common manifestations. Resentment is the number one offender. From it stems all forms of spiritual disease. For we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. Close quote. Resentment is the number one offender? I don't know that I necessarily believed that when I started working my fourth step. I'm not sure I believed that resentment was my number one offender or the problem from which all others stemmed. However, I do believe that and know that now. 
The book also tells us in dealing with resentments, we set them down on paper. We listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we were angry. We asked ourselves why we were angry. In most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relations, including sex, were hurt or threatened. The book goes on to describe a very methodical way for writing these down, using different columns to list the target of our resentment, the cause, and what aspects of our life this resentment affects. When I started this portion of my inventory, I used a worksheet my sponsor gave me. You can get that worksheet on the website, worthrecovery.com. The worksheet was awesome, it is awesome, and helped me work through the columns described in the AA book. Now, like I said, I'm not just going to read the book to you. You can do that on your own. But one of the things I do love about these sections is that in describing each list, they also describe the solution. After telling us how to write about our resentments and convincing us of the problems they cause in our lives, they say this, quote, We realize that the people on our list who wrong us were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way they disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. We ask God to help us show the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. Close quote. One of, my, one of the real blessings in my life of completing my resentment list for step four was that of viewing others more rightly. If I was doing the very best I could with the knowledge and circumstances I was given and I ended up in addiction, then who was I to resent them? Weren't they doing the very best that they could as well? As I came to acknowledge and accept that, my resentments began to disappear. As I worked this resentment list as it's presented in the AA book, and I started to work the solution of understanding that everyone is sick, that everyone does the best that they can with their knowledge and the circumstances that they have, my resentments began to disappear. The second list that the book talks about is that of fears. I love this sentence about fears. Quote, this short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. Close quote. We do the exact same thing with our fears. We complete the worksheet listing what we were afraid of, why we were afraid, and which aspects of our life this fear affects. I really didn't understand how much fear drove my life until I worked on this step. Fear really did touch every aspect of my life. I was afraid of what others thought about me. I was afraid of failing, of messing up, of never succeeding at relationships, of never being in another relationship in my entire life. I was afraid that all my sexual experiences in my entire life were going to be addictive. I was afraid I could never stay sober. I was afraid I didn't want to stay sober. I was afraid of my family, of rejection, of anyone I deemed more talented than I was. I was afraid of being wrong. Fear drove every aspect of my life. This list asks us to identify which part of self have I been relying on that has failed me. I love this question. If I am living in fear, it is because I have relied on myself and I have come up short. Again, the big book provides the answer for us, quote, self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. When it made us cocky, it was worse. 
Perhaps there is a better way. We think so. For we are now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. Close quote. Many times during this process, I had to pray. I had to remind myself over and over again that I am finite, that I cannot rely on myself, and that my higher power, my God, is the only one who sees it all. I have this scripture in my office that I read daily. All things have been done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. I definitely don't know all things. But in working steps one, two, and three, I am ready to stop relying on myself, stop fearing, and trust in my higher power. That was what working this list did for me. It helped me to realize how much I was relying on myself, how much I was coming up short, how much it's not my job to know all things, and to help me really trust my higher power more. The third list the book describes is that of sexual conduct. It's almost like this book was written with sex addicts in mind. Huh. What the inclusion of this list tells me is that in order to really move forward in a meaningful way, in order to get rid of addiction and of obsessive thinking, the spiritual ailment behind addiction, we cannot use anything addictively. Whether that is a substance in the case of alcohol or narcotics, whether that is a process addiction, food, sex, gambling, or whether that is simply something like video gaming or shopping or reading, we cannot afford to use anything addictively if we want to move forward in a meaningful way in our lives. I think that's what they're trying to tell us in this book. For us sex addicts, this list is essential. This is the list where we come completely clean about all of our acting out behaviors, all of them. With every person we acted out with, we look at where we were selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate. We look at where we had hurt other people with our sexual acting out. This was not the hardest list for me, for sure. I knew this list. I had included some particulars in my first step inventory. All I had to do was just write this list down. In addition to all the specific men on my list that I had acted out with in person, I also wrote down random internet men. And then in the column that says, what did we do? We had cyber sex. What was the exact nature of our wrongs? I just kind of went through the whole row, right? Finishing and answering all the questions on the worksheet. The first time I talked to my sponsor about it, the very first thing she said to me was, how many? How many men? Um, I lost it. I, I had no idea. I broke down. I had no idea how many men there were that I had cyber sex with. Well, that wasn't specific enough, she counseled me. You need to pray about it and give an estimate. I was angry at first and probably could have added her to my resentment list. Probably I should have. And... Oh, not should, because I don't say should anymore. I could have added her to my resentment list. And over the next few days, as I prayed and pondered about all the specifics I needed to add to my list, it got worse, to be honest. The weight of what I had done started to sink into my soul. How many men had it been? I tried to count. I tried to estimate based on where I was living or different periods of my life or different things that I could remember about different people. I tried to estimate just how many men I had had full-blown cyber sex with. The estimate I came up with was somewhere between 50 and 60 men. Some just once, some several times over weeks or months. As that sunk into my soul, I recognized a deeper level of dysfunction. I couldn't hide from that number. I couldn't justify that number. 
That number to me was evidence of the seriousness of what I had been doing. Be specific on your list. Be as specific as you possibly can. Though it's painful and uncomfortable, in the long run, it is helpful. I'm grateful to understand the depth of the dysfunction in my addiction. Even though it was really painful at the time, in the long run, it really has helped me. Again, the big book gives us a glimpse of the solution here. Quote, We ask God to mold our ideals and help us to live up to them. We remembered always that our sex powers were God-given and therefore good, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised and loathed. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow towards it. Close quote. I love that idea. Sex is not to be despised or loathed. I think I sometimes have a tendency to do that, move from one extreme to the other. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, whatever our sobriety definition ends up being, whatever we decide about our sexual life going forward, we need to define our ideal and be willing to grow towards that, whatever it is. The last list the big book explains to us is that of harms done to others. On the bottom of page 70, it tells us, quote, we have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can, close quote. This is the list of any harms that we have done in our lives that we need to bring to light. It can be simple. One of the ones I listed was an incident in elementary school where I bullied a little girl. It had made me sick for years. I hated thinking about it. It went on my list. Another one I listed were the partners and children of the men I had acted out with, whether online, by phone, or in person. There was harm done there by my behavior. Of course, family and friends were on the list as well. Any behavior that haunted me, anything I've done where I have caused harm, I put on the list. This is your opportunity to be completely honest. Completely honest. Everything that you have done that hurts you, that pains you, write it down. The book continues, time after time, newcomers have tried to keep to themselves certain facts about their lives. Trying to avoid this humbling experience, they have turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk. (laughs) I've seen that happen with sex addicts as well. You've got to be honest and be willing to reveal anything in your past that you need to do. These four lists, resentment, fears, sexual conduct, and harms done, make up the core lists of our moral inventory. I've suggested here the traditional method of completing this step guided by the big book of AA. There are great worksheets on the website, worthrecovery.com, that will guide you through completing these four lists. This is hard work. If it isn't hard, if it doesn't shake you to your very core, you need to dig deeper. The reason it needs to shake you is because until we are completely honest, we cannot build honest, trusting relationships. When we are really honest and hold back nothing, we get to challenge the faulty core beliefs we have about ourselves. We shake loose those fears, those resentments, those harms done, and those old acting out behaviors. We shake them loose and we let them fall to the ground. And for the first time, we get to see ourselves, who we really are. With all this garbage sitting on the ground around us after being shaken loose, we get to stand up taller and we get to look rightly at ourselves. We get to let go of the heaviness in our lives and move forward. This is an amazing experience. It's difficult for sure, but it's amazing. 
You can work on these lists however you choose. I've heard people who recommend you sit down for two days straight, take time off work if necessary, and as hard as it might be, force yourself to write them out and knock them out. I see the wisdom in that. It's kind of like pulling off a Band-Aid, right? Do you want to rip it off and be done and have it hurt intensely all at one time? Or do you want to pull it off a little bit at a time more slowly and take it off? My sponsor did the rip-off method. I think it took her four days. And she forced herself to sit and work on it and eventually finish all the lists. She recommended that method to me. But that method didn't work for me. I have always had a low pain tolerance, both physically, spiritually, and especially emotionally. I don't control my emotions very well. I'm getting better, way better. But at that time, I was a wreck. I tried it, but it was overwhelming. Instead, I spread it out over a few weeks. I think it ended up being about eight weeks. I bookended the work as necessary, and I really worked with both my sponsor and my therapist to work at the pace that allowed me to process all these emotions and move forward. You find what works for you, guided by your sponsor and other friends in recovery. Remember, there's no wrong way to do this step unless you don't do it. In our next episode, episode 41, we will discuss some alternative methods to working this step. So many of the various 12-step organizations have great additions on how to work this step in different ways that provide new insights. I'm excited to share some of those methods with you in our next episode. As always, ladies... I hope you remember that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel in this very moment, you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. I know that. Keep up the fight. Don't forget, you can support Worth Recovery by being a Worth Warrior. Also, we have our big event in Seattle, Washington coming up in July, and I'm just a few days away from announcing dates for other locations that are also going to be coming up. All the details are on the website, worthrecovery.com, as well as the worksheets that I talked about today. I think about you, ladies. I pray for you, and I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.